Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Hello, this is Dr. Elisa Gallo for Dialogues in Dermatology, and today we're going to be interviewing Dr. George Hahn, Associate Professor of Dermatology at Northwell Health System in New York. Welcome, Dr. Hahn. Thank you very much. It's uh, my pleasure to be here today, and I appreciate the invitation. Well, today we're excited to be speaking about your article, Baricitinib in Patients with Moderate to Severe Atopic Dermatitis, Results from a Randomized Monotherapy Phase Three Trial in the United States and Canada, also known as Breeze AD5. This is a very interesting article, Dr. Hahn, and specifically as the JAK inhibitors have become of great interest to many in, the, in their role in treating atopic dermatitis. So I'd like to ask you if you would be willing to begin by discussing what is baricitinib? Baricitinib is a selective JAK1 and 2 inhibitor. So JAK inhibitors come in many isoforms, and there's actually JAK1, 2, and 3, as well as TIC2 as part of the genus kinase family of kinases. So JAK inhibitors block certain portions of this pathway, and the JAK pathway is involved in a number of functions, such as immune function, T-cell proliferation and survival, T-cell memory cells, B-cell function, regulatory cell functions, but also they're involved in a number of other factors that we actually need, such as hematopoiesis, they're involved in platelet generation, uh, neutrophils. So those are some of the things that have led us to think about JAK inhibitors in general as kind of a dual-edged sword in dermatology. A lot of potential benefits, but a lot of things to look out for. And we, it's really good to have studies like this where we're looking at not only the efficacy, but also the safety and detail, because that's going to be important to weigh those risks and balances with our patients. Absolutely. Now, in this particular study, you were looking at evaluating the efficacy and safety of monotherapy for baricitinib, one milligram versus two milligram in adults with moderate to severe atopic dermatitis who were intolerant or inadequate responders to topical therapy. I'd like to go into more detail on this 16-week placebo-controlled study, the double-blinded placebo-controlled study. Can you tell us how the study was designed? Yes, sure. So when we're looking at Breeze 85, so this was interesting because as you can tell from the number, there were a number of studies that came before it. And those were mostly based on European cohorts. So European, Australia, elsewhere in the world, Latin America, Asia. And we were waiting for Breeze 85 really to show us how it performs in the US population. There are interestingly significant differences, I think, in the way atopic dermatitis behaves among different areas. There's a lot of great research going on into the pathogenesis of AD, into the underlying mutations in filaggrin, how they differ across different ethnicities, how even the prevalence of atopic dermatitis in children of immigrants seems to be different than people who stay in where their heritage is from. So there's a lot of interesting things about atopic dermatitis that make it perhaps, I think, a little more difficult to study and to know what to expect than something, you know, like psoriasis, which we're all used to seeing psoriasis trials. So we're really happy to be able to carry out this study in the U.S. and Canada. So patients are randomized to either receive placebo once daily or baricitinib one milligrams or two milligrams. There was, of course, a washout period. So topical and systemic AD therapy 
these were discontinued. They were discontinued rather prior to randomization and were not allowed during this study. So this gives you a really clean profile of what happens for patients who are not using uh, topical steroids at the same time, for example. Mm-hmm. In terms of looking at the uh, primary outcomes, we investigated uh, eczema area and severity index, EZ75, as well as the IGA-AD score of zero or one, clear, almost clear, at week 16 as the secondary endpoint. Okay. What was the eligibility criteria for this particular study? This was an adult study, so patients were greater than 18 years of age with at least a one-year history of atopic dermatitis. And so the diagnostic criteria we went by were the AAD's guidelines for for diagnosis of atopic dermatitis. Patients had to have moderate to severe disease, so their baseline EZ had to be above 16, the IgA score greater than or equal to 3, and body surface area greater than or equal to 10%. And patients also, just according to label, had to have either an inadequate response or intolerance to topical corticosteroids. We expect that to be something, you know, just in general for systemic medicines to make somebody eligible for these medicines. Mm -hmm. Understood. Now, getting back to the endpoints, you mentioned that you looked at the secondary endpoints. Can you talk about the primary endpoints? Oh, so sorry, I should have clarified. The primary endpoint was actually the EZ75 at week 16. So that was a 75% improvement in the eczema area and severity index. And so that was assessed at week 16. Some of the key secondary endpoints included that IgA of 0 or 1, as well as the itch numeric rating scale, skin pain, and the atopic dermatitis sleep scale. And safety endpoints measured through week 16, what did they include? Right. So in general, uh, you know, of course, all treatment avergence adverse events were uh, recorded as well as severe adverse events. So in terms of clinical laboratory tests, obviously, we're looking for things on the complete blood count that we'd find on looking at lipids, CPK. So all those were assessed as well as part of these study visits. Okay. And we will get into that further as we move on here. In terms of the statistical analysis, please elaborate on your sample size and tell us specifically what was determined. Yeah, so so obviously in conducting and, and analyzing the study, you know, one of the nice things is that there were previous studies already kind of showing the efficacy of this medication in multiple uh, in multiple dose ranges. For this study, the, the magic number here was 450 patients. So uh, it was estimated we'd need around that number. and We did get past that threshold. So it's good to know that this study was powered to be able to uh, tell us what the performance of baricitinib would be in an AD population as such. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, moving into the results, why don't we discuss a little further what it was exactly that you found in terms of efficacy? In terms of the primary outcome for EZ75, the proportion achieving EZ75 was 8, 13, and 30% for placebo baricitinib 1 milligram and 2 milligrams respectively. So that 2 milligram dose is, is going to be the key, and that's that 30% EZ75. You know, I will mention at this point that the doses that we looked at for the U.S. and Canadian study 
were a little lower than what's actually being looked at in Europe, for example. And that's just kind of, I think, part of what we spoke to at the beginning, that, you know, the concept here is that we're really trying to optimize that risk-benefit profile. And any JAK inhibitor that you push too high on the, on the dosage range is, is going to come with some some issues as we'll see in the in the safety data here. So I think granted that those results are are actually really reassuring that we saw a really nice big difference from placebo and that 30% of patients achieved that primary outcome. In terms of patients getting to that key secondary outcome of the VIGA of 0 or 1, that was 5% for placebo, 13% for baricitinib 1 milligram, and 24% for baricitinib 2 milligrams. Uh, so again, you see, this is a pretty hard plateau to achieve for medications. So for you, you like to see that nice low placebo rate and also a much higher rate for patients who are on the higher dose group. And that's around five times as many who, who got to that outcome than the placebo group. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In terms of uh, another key, you know, we always think about atopic dermatitis and pruritus. The proportion achieving a greater than or equal to four-point improvement in HNRS was 6% for placebo, 16% for baricitinib one milligram, and 25% for baricitinib two milligrams. So, you know, kind of similar results that we're seeing uh, significantly improved from placebo. And when was that seen, that statistical significant difference? Yeah, so, uh, you know, one of the nice things about JAK inhibitors in general, and certainly we saw that here, was that they tend to work rather quickly. So patients, basically, they start feeling the improvement in itch very rapidly, often within the first few days in, in our experience. But in terms of this study, what they were able to find is a statistically significant difference by week two with baricitinib two milligrams. That's fantastic. That's good to know. In terms of the skin pain NRS LSM change from baseline, what did you find? Right. So for skin pain, you know, which is a really interesting kind of metric that we're looking at now, because <laughs> it's, it's sort of hard. These, these patient reported outcomes in our clinical trials in general always give uh, people who do clinical trials a bit of a headache, uh, you know, in terms of what to do with it. And, and what we realized is that it's a little bit challenging to look at just pruritus because a lot of times you'll have patients come in and they'll complain about burning and stinging and other sensations. So that's where the skin pain comes in. And it's a really interesting metric to look at. As an aside, there are different ways to slice and dice looking at outcome measures and the different things that go into it. You know, part of it is going to be the itching part of it is going to be the actual what you can see improving. And, and there are some studies coming out looking at mediator analyses for these medications. So a lot of good literature coming out. But in terms of for this, uh, we saw that there was a statistically significant reduction for the baricitinib two milligrams uh, compared to placebo, uh, but not for the lower dose group. Exactly the skin pain was referring to. I think that's an important point to note is that it's not always pruritus that uh, patients will complain about. Um, in terms of nighttime awakenings due to itch, what did you see? Yeah, so, so that's obviously something that really affects our patients that really is very bothersome to their quality of life, to their work productivity. A lot of things are, are tied to that. And so a statistically significant improvement in the uh, least squared mean change from baseline was observed by week one already. So already patients were getting better sleep by week one, and this was maintained out to week 16 for baricitinib two milligrams. 
Okay, so we're specifically still talking about the two milligram oral dosage. Yes, yeah, that's that's what it's looking like to be the the dose going forward. That's going to make the most sense clinically. Um, you know, it, it's we'll get to the safety in a little bit. I think when you start to think about whether there are any significant trade offs, I, I don't think that the evidence and the data really shows that. So it's nice to know that the efficacy does seem to be significantly better. And, and that's probably what we're going to be going with going forward. Tell me about the proportion reporting greater than 75 improvement from baseline in the scoring of atopic dermatitis, the score at 75 specifically. Yeah, so there are different outcome measures that are being used, you know, for, for atopic dermatitis. I think what, what's interesting, and I always think about this from the perspective of, of running a clinical trial, because we've done a lot of psoriasis trials over the years, obviously, and, and you know that there are tons of medicines available as systemic treatments for psoriasis. We're kind of used to that. The funny thing is that, of course, in atopic dermatitis, the disease itself is a lot less predictable, right? So interestingly for psoriasis trials, we have a cheat that we kind of, we don't include patients who have guttate psoriasis or other what we call unstable forms of psoriasis. But what about atopic dermatitis where the actual disease state we're studying is somewhat unstable? So that's where you see like a lot of these different scoring uh, mechanisms and different different scores being used. So the score at, it's nice to see that it also achieved statistically significant improvement for baricitinib two milligram treated patients versus placebo in this trial as well. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned safety issues. Why don't we get into that a little bit further? Tell me about what was seen in terms of safety for the one to two milligram treated patients, respectively. Of course, yeah, safety is going to be really key. You know, I think whenever our patients come in, it's nice to know that we have a treatment that works, but nobody's going to try it out if, if it doesn't seem to be safe to do so. So I think this is where, to me, baricitinib really stands out among the pack. Again, looking at that kind of risk-benefit profile for medications, I think the safety data in this trial looks really, really very clean. And that's really what stood out to me in going over the full results from the trial. When you look at the placebo baricitinib one milligram and two milligram treated patients, importantly, the serious adverse events were 2% for placebo, 1% for the one milligram and 2% for the two milligram groups rather, sorry. So when you look at the overall treatment of urgent adverse events, similar among treatments, so not a huge difference, but importantly, for the severe adverse events, it was again within 1% of placebo and actually numerically a little lower. Interesting that the placebo was at a higher percentage of adverse events than the treatment groups. Of one yeah, you know, it's, it, it is interesting. I think what one caveat I'll say is that anytime you're dealing with a 1% difference in a study like this, mm-hmm. uh, we, we try not to read too much into it. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting is a lot of times you'll see in the AD trials, uh, depending on the baseline severity of atopic dermatitis, we know that patients with AD often get into you know, bad infections and get into trouble with the actual disease state itself. So uh, I think that's something we started to see with some of the atopic dermatitis trials that patients were getting less cutaneous infections because their AD was under better control. So that's one thing that tends to happen. But here I would say that it's just you know, a matter of 2% versus 1%. I wouldn't read It's not much, much of anything, it. but it is <laughs> yeah. a bit funny. <laughs> yeah. um, in any event, tell me about the most commonly reported 
adverse events? Uh, so those would be similar to what we see in a lot of oral medications and in JAK inhibitors also in, in treatments for atopic dermatitis. Upper respiratory affection and nasopharyngitis, those were numerically the highest numbers. But I think it's important to take a look at those numbers, right? So when we look at upper respiratory tract infection, it was 6% for placebo. Nasopharyngitis was 8%. You know, what I like to say is that a lot of times it's a little bit hard to differentiate. And sometimes it really depends on the center, which one of these codes they'll actually report out. I tend to, to kind of bundle these together. I look at upper respiratory tract infection, nasopharyngitis. Sometimes people report bronchitis as well. And I tend to look at these kinds of upper respiratory itises, if you will, and kind of look at the numbers together. And when you do that, you look at the placebo group, six plus 8%. Then you look at the one milligram group, it's 6% for the URI and 2% for nasopharyngitis. So you add those up, it's actually 8%. So it's lower than the 14%. Then you look at URI and nasopharyngitis for the two milligram group, it's 8% for the URIs and 5% for nasopharyngitis. So you add those up 13%. So again, overall, we're talking about, again, like with the higher dose group of baricitinib, about a 1% difference, actually lower numerically for URIs and nasopharyngitis than placebo. So, you know, I think that really gives us some confidence that there's not a huge signal here that patients are really getting sick more often by being on these medications. When you look at the other most common adverse event that was reported, that would be diarrhea. And it's a small change. So it's 1% for placebo, 2% for the one milligram group, and two and 4% for the two milligram group. So, uh, you know, again, here we're talking about more of like a 3% change. Uh, it is an oral medication. And I think it's been shown with some of the other JAK inhibitors that these kinds of GI disturbances, and then we know this with our experience with oral medications in general, those can happen with some frequency. But I would say again here, I would call attention to the fact that it's numerically quite close to placebo and not, not a high number at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand two patients had serious infections. Can you discuss that a little further? Right. So when you look at all infections in general, very similar across the board, 25%, 24%, and 27% for placebo, one milligram and two milligrams, respectively. Uh, When you look at serious infections, we really want to make sure we're not seeing a signal for that. And that would be just one placebo patient with cellulitis and one baricitinib, two milligram patient with pneumonia. So it was actually one placebo and one treatment patient. So, you know, again, it's just so hard to say that this is related to the medication at all. We're talking numerically the same number of patients got infected, but again, it's one patient. So I try not to read too much into it. I think what's reassuring is that we're not seeing a high number of serious infections in a dose-related manner for this medication. I mean, that really would be the more concerning thing is if we started to see, you know, like 10 patients in the, in the higher group and five patients in the lower treatment group. When you start to see that kind of effect, then you start to raise an eyebrow too. But one patient in the placebo group and one patient in the treatment group really, you know, tells you that there's not a, a big signal for a serious infection anywhere. That's an important point to note. And I see that you've documented the patients who have reported herpes simplex infections, uh, which has been relatively low. There were no cases of eczema herpeticum, opportunistic infections, or tuberculosis. 
Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's also important because when we're thinking about JAK inhibitors as a class, herpes infections tend to be something that starts to creep up once you start to push that efficacy window, right? So we think of these as narrow therapeutic window drugs. And when you start to push to the higher end of the treatment range, you, herpes is one of the things that you will absolutely see. So it's nice to know that for baricitinib, it was herpes simplex, 1% in placebo, 1% in the two milligram group, and only one case of herpes zoster in all of the groups with the lower dose of baricitinib at one milligram. So th that's actually something that I think, again, is, is a highlight of this medicine that we're not starting to see high rates of skin infections. And you'll see the same for overall skin infections, actually about 1% lower in both treatment groups than placebo at uh, four right. versus 5%, yeah. Mm -hmm. And also impressive is that there were no cases of malignancy, gastrointestinal perforation, DVTs, pulmonary embolisms, major adverse cardiovascular events, or any deaths. So I, it does sound like this is a very safe option potentially for patients with moderate to severe atopic dermatitis. Let's go on to discuss the lab evaluations that you mentioned at the beginning of this. What did you look at and what did you find? Uh, so, of course, with a JAK inhibitor, we just want to look at things that we find on the complete blood count. We want to look at CPK. We want to look at lipids as kind of the, the big things. And then also, of course, on the metabolic panel side, looking at, at liver function tests. So, Thankfully, you know, just to, to preface all of this, there really wasn't anything that popped out that was, that was very concerning. So when you look at the high-grade anemia, so grade three out of four anemia, there were no cases that were found. There was only one case of grade three neutropenia with baricitinib one milligrams. And for the lymphopenia, there were two cases in the overall group one in placebo and one in baricitinib, two milligrams. So when you start to look at this, again, we're talking about literally one case in all of these scenarios, zero or one. So let's just outline that off the bat. If you tested enough people over time, you'd probably find people having transient dips in their neutrophil counts or their white blood cell counts over time. And, and you actually see that here in the placebo group. You actually had one case of a patient getting grade three lymphopenia. So for all of this, you know, we kind of just think about it as things that could naturally happen. We're not seeing any kind of dose response. We're not seeing a dose-related increase in anything more than one patient. So that's, I think, really, really quite reassuring uh, for, for the utility of this in, in real life. When you look at elevations in AST, ALT, really, again, single-digit numbers between one and four in all groups, be it placebo, baricitinib, one milligrams or two milligrams. And there's really, again, no dose response at all and no real consistency in, in any of it. So not something that we think is particularly related to the drug itself. You know, for example, the ALT, actually two patients in the placebo group or 1% got it and zero patients in the baricitinib, two milligram groups uh, got that. When you look at CPK elevations, which is another thing that you can see with JAK inhibitors in general, that was observed in two patients on placebo and two patients with baricitinib two milligram treatment. So again, you know, kind of equal numbers in those two groups. Platelet counts, looking at uh, increase in platelet counts, there was one patient in each of the two treatment groups, either one milligram or two milligrams, that had a transient increase in platelet counts. 
Basically, when you look at the overall safety pattern from this and you take a step back and you look at all of the lab abnormalities, there really isn't anything we want to you know, have to be particularly worried about. We don't have to really track their platelet counts, you know, that thinking about other medicines that are coming out in jack inhibition, thinking about platelet counts that dip and then come back to normal. You're, you're not even seeing that. We're just seeing a very, very clean safety profile in terms of all the lab monitoring. So I think that's going to really, at least for me, it gives me confidence that these patients that are put on AD, the last thing I want to be doing is checking their labs all the time and figuring out if, if something goes awry, you know, how we're going to deal with that. I think it, it gives you real good confidence that that's not going to be a major issue with this medication. And that's fantastic. So basically for our listeners to summarize in this Breeze AD5 study, looking at adults with moderate to severe atopic dermatitis, those that received the baricitinib two milligram monotherapy experienced improvements in skin inflammation, skin pain, itch, sleep disturbance due to itch was decreased and the quality of life was basically improved with no new safety findings observed and no significant adverse events seen. Given that, would you like to just briefly discuss in our final few moments what we are looking at in terms of when this can be available for the general population and what comes next? Uh, for sure. So uh, the JAK inhibitors are, are definitely coming for atopic dermatitis. We're looking at three different medications. They're probably going to be uh, on the market right around the same time. That actually was supposed to have happened already, but the FDA delayed and want to take a little more time to look at all of these JAK inhibitors in detail. Certainly, these are things, again, just off the bat, we know going in that for JAK inhibitors, there is there are risks and benefits. And that, I think, is a little different from the, the systemic treatment that perhaps we've had in atopic dermatitis up till now. Uh, these are not biologics. These are medicines that work on the imu immune system. And if you push them enough, they do behave as immunosuppressants. So I think finding that right balance is going to be really important. And unfortunately, you know, I, I would say we're, we're used to using things like methotrexate, cyclosporin. There are different medicines that we've used for atopic dermatitis and other inflammatory skin diseases that we've been able to titrate doses and follow patients. With the way that medications are approved these days, we really don't have that luxury. So, you know, we kind of just have to go with what's, what's available and what's approved. And I think it's nice and, and interesting to see that things are kind of naturally differing into various categories. And for me, the idea of baricitinib is going to be that this is a medicine that I'm going to reach for, I think, in my patients who maybe don't have a very large body surface area. Some of the, some of the actual data that we extracted from the study group is that patients who have less than 50% body surface area actually do better on this medicine than patients with higher than 50% body surface area. So, you know, I think it's going to be things like that, little nuances and little tips that help us figure out what's the right patient for this medicine. That's really going to be useful for us in the long term. And I think just thinking about our treatment landscape for atopic dermatitis, it's going to get a lot more crowded 
in the short term, and that's going to continue going on, which is great for patients with AD who, until just a few years ago, had to deal with heavy-duty immunosuppressants to bring them any kind of relief. So, you know, what we have now is a good biologic on the market. We all, I think, have patients doing well on that medicine. But what we're going to soon have are oral medicines that, you know, what's nice is to know is that, as we discussed earlier, they work quickly right? So they're able to get control of that itching quickly. So the thought of putting patients on repeated systemic corticosteroids or intramuscular Kenalog shots, you know, those I hope will go by the wayside as we have access to the JAK inhibitors. And one of the things that I always have trouble with some of my patients is that thinking about AD as something that comes with, you know, seasons or has a rhythm to it, patients kind of sometimes don't like thinking about being on a medicine like forever, right? Which is how we have to approach it usually with biologics. And I think this medicine uh, gives us an opportunity to think about a long-term treatment as well as maybe a shorter-term treatment because for oral small molecules, there's no mechanism you can form antibodies against the medicine. So the recapture rates tend to be good for these kinds of medicines. So I think there will be a good place for it. And for me, you know, baricitinib really stands out for that clean safety profile. You know, it was really reassuring to take a look at all of the safety data brought together and really drive home that point that, you know, we can fine-tune a JAK inhibitor to give us a little more tolerable safety outcome. And I'm looking forward to having these medicines in our arsenal for treating AD. Well, thank you very much. This has been a very enlightening podcast with you and fascinating article and study. We look forward to seeing more. And that is all for Dialogues in Dermatology with Dr. George Hahn. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.